The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I want to encourage you to write a few things down. If you've got a pen and paper, you can take that out for note-taking. Uh, if you don't have that, flip your bulletin over. You'll find some empty space there somewhere. Somewhere we can write something down. If you don't have it, look to your neighbor and see if you can bum one off of them. You know, I mean, I think it's important for us to jot a few things down because God is speaking to us. Now, if we come in here and we expect to just receive something together, I think that's not a bad thing, but I don't think that's the only thing. God's talking to us at an individual level. He's doing great things in each one of our lives. And as we take the time to examine the word ourselves, we'll see what it is that he's speaking to us. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. There's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the word. One, we're going to find, now this is a little bit of a personal opinion, so uh, if you have a disagreement here, I'd be happy to talk to you. But my opinion, we're going to find the point of the gospel, what the point is. What's the point? I think it's important to know the point, to know what it is that God's doing, what the bottom line is, to see to it that we're moving in that direction, to see to it that what God is desiring to do in each one of our lives is actually happening. I'm not a big fan of wasted time, and I want to see to it that the things that God has intended to do in my life, that they're actually happening. And if they're not happening, I want to make the proper changes to see to it that they will happen. Another thing that we're going to find is how Jesus deals with fear. How Jesus deals with fear. Now, I didn't say dealt with fear. I'm saying deals with fear. How Jesus deals with fear. And I think that Jesus is going to be teaching us how we should deal with fear as he shows us how he deals with it. And another thing, now, it's a little bit of a Central Texas thing, right? So normally I would expect a few, you know, yeehaws or whatnot, but we're going to find out that God is a hunter. And I don't think our hunters are in service today. Now, normally they're out during hunting season. You want to preach to them, you better go set up a blind somewhere. But God is a, he's a hunter, and we're going to find that out. I'm looking forward to getting going here, so I want to just start right off. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this down, and I would encourage you to turn there if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke chapter 1 is a very long chapter. It's got a lot of verses in it. So we're going to be on the back part of Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading around verse 68. Now, I told you we're going to find out the point of the gospel, and I personally believe we'll see it here as we read in Luke chapter 1. The point of the gospel. Now, if we're talking about the point of the gospel, what you have to come to the awareness of is we're talking about the bottom line of everything God's doing in your life. And I mean, God is... is just really effective at using a lot of moving parts. There's a whole lot of things that are going on as the Spirit of God is influencing my life. You're talking about thousands of years and, and countless numbers of people and their testimony all spreading the message and, and impartation and carrying the Spirit of God. There's been a lot of dominoes that have fallen to get to you. And it's all intentional. It's not accidental. God didn't just set this bomb off called Christianity and we'll see who gets in and who doesn't make the cut. But you've got to see that. And when you begin to see that, then the word becomes really special because you realize all of these prophets, all the authors, all of the, the, the men and women and children that make up the history and the prophecy and the art that makes up the scripture, all of this is for me. It's for you. It's intentional. It's on purpose. So there are times where I'm reading this, and it might sound a little arrogant or a little narcissistic, but just bear with me. There's sometimes I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, thank you for recording that for me. Thank you for writing that down for me because I needed that. It's not just a story, a book that someone says, you know, hey, you ought to read this. But it's a message, an intentional message, in an effort to communicate between God and you. And he's talking to us. He's talking to us this morning. He's going to speak to us through the word. And he's going to speak to us right here, I believe, in Luke chapter 1. Now, in Luke chapter 1, we're about to read something. I told you the point of the gospel. But I want to kind of set up what's going on here because I think it's a pretty cool story. 
I think it's actually kind of funny. I would encourage you to read it in your own time. You know, Luke chapter 1, I mentioned it's a little long. You can read it in five minutes. Read it over your breakfast cereal or something like that. But it's kind of an interesting story, a funny story. We're going to get to the point we're going to impart that word. But you're dealing with something that I think we can all kind of relate to. Now, here's a guy, and he's doing things. He's, he's wanting to, to do things for God. His name is Zacharias. Now, he actually works at the church, so you could just say he's functioning in a, a priestly role. And he's doing some things, and God has a call on his life. God has a call on his household. Now, I've got news for you. This applies to you. God has a call on your life, and he's got a call on your household. And God begins to reveal that call through his, his messenger. He sends the angel Gabriel. So the man Zacharias is at work. There are days where you go to work, right? So imagine you're at work, you're doing your normal duties, and all of a sudden, boom, the angel Gabriel stands before you. And that's what happened for him. I mean, he's doing what he's done before and what he'll do again, and he's going through these routines, and things are pretty business as usual. And then, whoop, that's not normal. And I love... The, the angel, I love Jesus, I want to be like Jesus, you know, if you read as he's resurrected and as he appears, you know the first thing that he has to say to people is, don't be afraid, that's my goal to be Christ-like, when I walk in a room, I want to have to be like, hey, sh- it, hey it's alright, it's going to be okay, so the angel's there all of a sudden, you know, and the guy's at work, he's doing his thing, and then here's Gabriel, and I'm standing up here because I have a feeling Gabriel still stood taller than this. It just was a, quite a sight to see. To even try to wrap our minds around it, it's just going to fall short. So business as usual is interrupted by something supernatural. I kind of want that to be our lives. I don't just want it for me, I want it for you. Whereas we're going through business as usual, God is interrupting the common, the mundane, the routine very supernatural and awesome things. Now when that happens, we'll have to be willing to stop the mundane and stop the common and, and not just be like, well, I'm, I'm busy. I got work to do. I got, and pay attention to what God is saying and doing. Now that's a rule throughout the scripture. I mean, Moses is watching sheep and he sees a burning bush. He could have just kept watching sheep. But he stopped and he went to check out the bush. So as God interrupts our life, it's important to pay attention. Well, this man's at work, and then there's the angel, and so he stops and pays attention, and the angel begins to reveal what God's going to do. God's going to do the miraculous. He tells this man, he says, you and your wife have been trying to have children. You can't have children, but God's going to give you a son. And he's going to do great things. He goes to give descriptions of what he's going to do. Now, he's describing a man named John the Baptist. And as he's giving all this instruction, he even tells him, now you're going to name him John. And then this is where I kind of think, God, thank you for writing that down for me. I know a lot of people have read it, but I think you wrote that down for me. And I really appreciate it because I, I needed that. Here's this man who's at work, he's doing what he does, and he's also considered a spiritual man. He's working at the church, he's doing things for God. A little paraphrase, but it's there. And then God interrupts his life. He interrupts the common, he interrupts the routine, he interrupts the normal. With this good news, this great news, this exciting news. I mean... If you think about what's being revealed here, that means for years and years and years, everything you've wanted and been denied, everything you've tried for and been rejected, God's about to give it to you. That is a holy yahoo, if you ask me. Yeah. But his response is is one that I think, you know, that's probably more like what my response would be. So God, thanks for writing it down, because I think you recorded that for me. He gets this good news, and he looks at the angel Gabriel, and he says, well, how do I know? That's really what we want all the time. Like, we can get the words, we can can hear the promises, and and it's like, you know, I can believe that for for this person and this person, but you come and you tell me you're going to do this in my life. How? How am I going to know? And I, I just think that God himself has a great sense of humor. I mean, he made me, right? And, and, and I think that, that the angels, though 
I don't know that they have emotions like men do. I just have to think that this one was a little bit of a, a fun response. So Zacharias is saying, well, how do I know? And I have to think Gabriel just looked at him and thought, well, I'll give you a sign, buddy. <laughs> I, I can't speak for Gabriel. It might have not been like that at all. But he said, well, how about this? You won't be able to talk until your son's born. So zip. Now, I mean, by most accounts, this guy's a preacher, basically. So I don't want to hear any amens when I'm about to say this, but can you imagine a preacher who couldn't talk? You know you wanted to, right? Woo, yeah, I can right now. So this guy who comes out from his place at the table of incense where he's been serving and doing his duty. Everyone's looking for a report. Well, how'd it go? You know, anything strange happen? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he can't say anything, but yeah, something strange did happen. And he's a known guy, so everyone is just thinking, what's going on? And, you know, time goes by, and of course, can you just say of course? Of course God does what He says He will. His wife gets pregnant, and they, they have their son. I mean, of course. Man, if you're taking notes, you can just write it down in all caps and circle it. Of course. Of course God did what He said He'd do. Of course He did. And they're at the place there, you know, where... You know, by tradition, on the eighth day, they do their, their things there, and we celebrate those things, circumcision, and they, they, all of this stuff is happening, and they're going to bestow the name upon the child. Now, remember, the angel said, you're going to have a son. He's going to do these things. He's going to live like this. His name's going to be John. And here's Zacharias, who had that weird day at work, and I hope we all have weird days like that. And he's still sitting there, and he can't say a word. And so people are coming up to him and they're saying, well, he's a lovely boy. He's a good-looking child, so what's his name going to be? He writes down John. His name will be John. Because at this point, he's convinced. God's in this. And I think sometimes we need a little convincing. And you know what I love about that? That God's willing to do it. And even willing to do it sometimes in kind of witty and funny ways. Now, this isn't exactly on the same line there. It may be a little different thread, but I remember once I was being assaulted. Oh, my enemies were rising up against me. I felt like David writing these lamentations in the Psalms. You know, oh, Father, how long will the evil triumph over me? And I, but I was being sincere. I mean, I can joke about it now, but at the time, I couldn't joke about it. I really just thought that God was asleep at the wheel, and I was destined to crash. And I was crying out. And the thing that was going on was really malicious gossip. Well, the word malicious gossip is in the Scripture, by the way, and it's nasty business. In fact, it's so nasty that a few times the same word for malicious gossip is translated devil. It's just his work. He's the father of lies. And that was going on. There was such huge gossip. There was a rumor going around that I was homeless. I remember my wife was shopping for our Thanksgiving dinner at the store. And a church member saw her at the store and just said, well, hey, what are your Thanksgiving plans? And my wife said, well, we're just going to stay at home. We're not going to travel. Oh, you're going to stay at home? Well, I would heard you were homeless. Now, there's a lot of things that happen in this moment, you know? You want to just, like, stop time and just think, like, hang on, what's wrong with this? You've heard that we're suffering greatly, and you didn't call? You, you didn't reach out? You didn't, you know? But that's the kind of rumors that were going around, horrible rumors. I mean, just terrible gossip. And it was absolutely bizarre. It got to where it was so out there, it kind of started being funny. I was like, how outrageous can this get? 
And so, you know, in my time, kind of like Zacharias, I went to work. Well, it's time for me to go to work. Shut the door to my office. Began to pray, Father, how much longer shall this evil triumph over me? And I remember saying this. And I thought it was really an awesome thing to say. I just said, in the name of Jesus, dry up the tongue of the gossiper. You want to know what happened? My tongue swelled up, and I couldn't talk for two days. I kid you not. That's my wife. Dry up the tongue of the gossip. Forget it. Never mind. Never mind. I forgive him. It's all good. <laughs> That's a true story. So I think God gets a kick. I mean, because he knows because he is. He doesn't have to be reminded of his love for us. It's us that have to be reminded of his love for us. You know? So all of that happens, you know, and what will his name be? He writes it down on a piece of paper. His name will be John. That's what he wrote down. And as soon as he wrote that and fulfilled everything that Gabriel had revealed, which was the will of God, his mouth was loosed. He could talk again. And when his mouth opened, when he was able to talk, with everybody watching, everyone astonished, he began to prophesy. And as he prophesies, he's revealing to us, for me and you right here and right now, what I believe to be the point of the gospel. I want to read it. It's here in Luke. Luke chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 68. And i got to tell you something. I mean, I don't think that we can catch this in one reading. So I want to encourage you to, to read it again later. And maybe again after that. Just let these words mean something to you and soak into your life. Because there's something so incredibly potent and powerful in them. That I believe if we catch it, the whole world will take notice. He begins, to pro he begins to prophesy, excuse me, and he, he began speaking these words. Blessed be the Lord our God of Israel, for he's visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up for us a horn of salvation. Now he's referring to Jesus there. Just like he'd spoke through the mouths of his holy prophets. Now can I pause there? Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying, hey, God did what he said he would do. That's the lesson that he just learned. And now he's wanting to tell everybody, hey, God did what he said he would do. And he's doing it right now. He's raising up salvation for us. But then it gets so much better as we keep reading. Just as he'd spoken through the mouths of his holy prophets, which have been in the world from the very beginning. Here's the message. If you're going to underline something, this is a good thing. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. That's God's plan for your life. That he would save you from every one of your enemies. And from the hand of all who hate you. And right about then, you know, I'm thinking, man, that's awesome. Can't get much better than that. I got news for you. It can and it does. He goes on and he says, to show mercy toward our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham, our father, and by faith, our father. And then it goes on to say this, that he would grant unto us. Grant is just another way to say give. We use the word give more. So that he would give unto us. Who's us? It's me and you, baby, right here, right now. That God would give unto us. That once we're delivered from the hands of our enemies, we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of the days of our lives. I want to read that last part again because I want to emphasize a couple of things. God's doing all of this stuff. He's fulfilling what He said He would do for you. And for me, through Jesus. Everything that he spoke, the words he spoke to Adam, but there's one that will descend from you. Though his heel be bruised by the serpent, he'll crush his head. That's Jesus he's talking about. 
He's revealed it from the very start. All of this that goes all the way back and even transcends time itself is to accomplish this in your life and to accomplish this in my life. That when we are delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Now I read that and I see something. I see the the, the end result is serving God. But it's serving God in two things, in, in holiness and in righteousness. And in order to serve God in holiness and in righteousness, we have to get rid of something. It says without fear. God's delivering us time and time and time and time and time again to continue to show us, I won't change. I love you unconditionally. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll pay the highest price. All so that we can have fear purged out. Be it little by little or all at once, the goal is to see fear no longer in control of our thinking or our actions. Because it's fear that will compromise holiness and righteousness. Everything that I've ever done in my life that was unholy had a root of fear in it. Fear of missing out. Fear of poverty. Fear of loneliness. Fear of rejection. Fear of man. All of those things were at the foundation of any immoral or unethical decision I ever made in my life. But as God is purging fear from our lives, He's equipping us to serve Him in holiness and in righteousness. So to sum that up, I would offer this, that the point of the gospel is to get fear out of us. That horn of salvation is a wonderful thing. Being born again and washed clean, baptized in the Holy Spirit, all of those things are amazing and they're to be celebrated, they're to be taught, they're to be pursued, they're to be embraced. But when I read the prophecy of Zacharias, I see that all of those things are to accomplish this one end. That I would no longer be led by fear. And finally able to serve God in holiness and in righteousness. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture. We're going to move forward here in the word. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. 2 Timothy 1.7 is going to reveal something. It's going to reveal that any element of fear in our life is not from God. Any element of fear in our lives, it's not from God. And therefore, it is an attempt to disrupt the will of God in our lives. To confuse, to delay, to derail. 2 Timothy 1.7 reads like this, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That just tells me God doesn't give out fear. He's not handing it out. Hey, you want a dose of this? He's a loving father, compassionate. He disciplines me, not punishes me. There's a big difference. It's not done in anger and wrath and vengeance. It's done in compassion. Not to break me, but to raise me, to straighten me out. God doesn't give us fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But, can you say but? You just said but in church. He hasn't given us fear, but He's given us the following. These are the things that He gives. And these are the things that He gives in response to the fear that's in our life. God hasn't given us fear. Rather, God's given us power, love, and soundness of mind. Power. He's poured out the Holy Ghost over our lives. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit with the same gifts to operate in as Jesus Christ Himself. We can function in the word of wisdom, in the word of knowledge. We can operate in faith. We can operate in prophecy and healing and the effecting of miracles. We can have tongues and interpretation of tongues with distinguishing of spirits. All of that stuff is given unto us. To overcome any problem. I've got news for you. You read the gospel. You see the things that Jesus does written down. And we're so quick to write those things off as miracles done by the Messiah to prove he's the Messiah. i got news for you. Those things are done because he's a man filled with the Spirit of God. Just like me. 
just like you. Jesus was not interested in proving that he's the Messiah. Rather, he was an example, an apostolic example, the apostle, to go before as the first example of life filled with the Spirit of God. There's not a single problem in this world that can't be solved by one or a combination of those gifts of the Holy Spirit. And everything he ever did that we would classify as miraculous in any way, shape, or form was one or a combination of those gifts that we have available to us. And that might seem like a distant thing, but don't let that distance discourage you. Let it light a fire in us to say, you know what, I believe that and I'm going to devote my life to the pursuit of living just like Jesus. Because that's the way that God's made for us. So back to 2 Timothy 1.7, God doesn't give fear. He's not giving us fear. Anything that's bringing us to a point of anxiety, anything that's stirring fear in our lives, we can believe and bet that it's not coming from God. It's coming from an outside influence that's looking to disrupt. And in response to that, we need to therefore seek God for the power, the love, and the soundness of mind to respond to it. Power, the presence of the Holy Ghost, love. What greater love could be manifest than that God would pay our ransom in Jesus? Soundness of mind. You know God is really a party guy. You read through the scripture and he's actually giving instructions for celebrations, holidays. Hey, here's what I want you to do. Every year at this time, I want you guys to eat. And I mean eat. All day. I don't want any leftovers. Have fun. Take the day off and just get down. And do it this way. And he describes how to do it. And then he reveals why. He says, because I want your kids to ask, hey, dad, why do we do it this way? And I want you to tell them, son, God's done great things for your dad. So that we can pass on how good God is. That's soundness of mind to remember the deliverance of God. That's soundness of mind. I remember the first time when I was born again and I was reading through the scripture. Like most people, I just opened it up and started at page one, you know, and that may not be the best way to do it all the time. But I was reading about these people, this nation, and they would see God do something great and then the next day they'd be terrified that he wasn't going to show up at all. And then they'd see him do something great and the next day they'd be terrified that he wasn't going to show up at all. And I was thinking, come on! Don't you get it by now? But I got news for you. That's another one of those where I say, hey, thank you for writing that down because I think you wrote that down for me because you've done such amazing things in my life and I seem to have a short memory. I don't seem to be done with the party, the celebration of the last deliverance before I'm concerned you're not going to show up for this problem. But that in and of itself is unsound thinking. Because the word promises this, and it's true, God never changes. That's what makes that. That is the only thing, by the way, that makes that unsound. The idea that the one who delivered you out of love and affection will never lose that love or affection. It'll never diminish. He'll never grow weary. You're in trouble again? God. You think God says that? Or you think he says, me? Come on, that's funny. Because he's unchanging, we can have stable thinking. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture because we're going to lose too much time here. You can go to Mark chapter 4. If you want to write it down, you can write it down. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We're just going to use it as an example. It's in the Word there, so I would encourage you to read it. Mark chapter 4, you can write down verses 35 through 41 if you want to find the specific areas here. But here's what you have here in Mark chapter 4. You have an amazing church service. I mean, that's a goofy way to say it, but just bear with me for the sake of our time here together. You see an amazing church service. You see things happening. I mean, Jesus is preaching, and you know, he never preached a bad sermon, right? And man, people are showing up and things are happening. You got people having their needs met. 
on, on scales that are absolutely miraculous and mind-blowing. I mean, everybody is having a good time. Things just couldn't get any better. This is as good as it gets in God, baby. And I'm so glad I'm here for this moment. And then the church service ends, you know. And I'd like to know how those ended. Wouldn't you hate to be the guy that closed that service? You know, where you have people still, you know, celebrating being healed. And, and I mean, like, well, he couldn't walk earlier and he's over there dancing still. And that person couldn't talk and they're still singing hallelujah beautifully. And that, all of this is going on. And you have to be the guy that's like, oh, turn it on, it's on. Um, well, everybody, uh, Jesus has to go. Uh, we're glad you came. We're really glad you came. We hope you got something from this. And, um, you know, uh, we look forward to, to coming back again soon. Uh, God bless you. God bless you. Goodbye. You know, you don't want to be that guy, right? But the service ends. I mean, his services ended. They, they just ended. It was time to go. So you, you can just picture these guys, you know, service is over. And the guys that are walking with Jesus are, are walking away from where they just ministered. And you know they're just psyched. Like, man, we get to hang out with you. You just did that. That was awesome. How'd you do that? That one thing, that one guy, I thought, man, this guy, ah. And you were like, woo, and he was, wow, it was awesome. And you know they're just pumped like that, Right? So where are we going next? I mean, I, I could use some more of that. Let's go. And Jesus says, well, let's get in this boat and let's go. We're going to go over there. They need the same thing. Yeah, and they get in the boat, you know, and they're crammed in there. And shove off. Still psyched. I mean, you know they're telling stories. Did you see that one woman? I've never seen someone cry like that. I mean, snot everywhere. And then, as they're telling these stories, the sky just changes. The wind probably picks up. The direction of the wind changes. The breeze just becomes evident. There's a shift. And then you probably just hear that first little gust. First couple of drops. Waves are crashing. No one's talking about the service. In fact, it says there's panic. Panic is fear. Fear to distract you from what God's done in your life. Fear to attempt to convince you that he won't do it again. You had one shot. You blew it. It's over. Fear to change the conversation from how amazing and great God is to we're all going to die. That's what happened. They're in the boat and the waves are crashing. They're bailing water. And they're crying, and they're screaming, and they're shouting. And they're literally thinking, God has absolutely forgotten us, and we're going to die. Jesus is asleep. I mean, he's snoozing. And I think there's something kind of funny here. If you have your Bible open, look for a line that says, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep. Do you see that? Jesus himself was in the stern asleep. And then what does it say after that? Does, it, does your Bible say on the cushion? Okay. Do you realize that means there was how many cushions? If he's on the cushion. Hey! Jesus! You gotta, you gotta share the cushion, man. No wonder he's the only one asleep. He's the only one with a cushion, right? Jesus is asleep on the cushion. 
And they're panicked. Nobody's talking about how awesome service was, how amazing the power of God was, how there's nothing impossible. Let the sick come. Let the lepers come. Let the rejected come. Let the wounded come. Let the sinner come. Let them come. And all of a sudden, you've forgotten us all. But we're just like that. I mean, we really are. And I'll read it and think, thank you for writing that down for me. Because I needed that. They wake Jesus up. You know, he's on the cushion, right? Hey, Jesus, hey, uh, uh, we got a problem here. And I mean, this is what they say to him. Teacher. And I mean, I don't want to yell into the mic. It might hurt your ears, but they're screaming. Don't you care that we are all dying? That's a bold statement, right? Don't you care that we're dying? Well, you see a couple of things there that are just wrong. First of all, there's not a stable relationship with Jesus to think that his affection could change. And then secondly, there's a judgment that's already been passed on the situation. We're dying. There have been times in my life where I thought I was dying, and I wasn't dying. I was being transformed. Things that needed to go were being removed. Things that needed to come were being put in. And they scream this, Jesus! I mean, just two hours ago, they were yelling, Jesus! And now they're yelling, Jesus! And he gets up and he just looks at the storm. And you know, when, when we make our movies, we do things so theatrical, right? Like you picture the beard flowing in the wind. That long hair. Oh, shh! Be still. I have a feeling he sat up on the cushion and was like, shh, shh. Peace. And then probably turned and looked at the guys, not with any frustration, but guys, guys. What's up with this? I mean, listen, this is total paraphrasing. Read the exact words. The exact words are great. But I'm just paraphrasing to communicate what I believe the spirit of this conversation to be. It doesn't have any frustration in it. It has compassion. It's like, listen, I know it's hard, but listen. God's going to take care of us. He's sent us on a mission to help those people over there. And if he's sending us to help those people over there, we'll, we'll get there. It's going to be okay. Now then here's, here's what he says, if you read it word for word here. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Say perfectly. I mean, that's pretty cool, huh? It's not just like, well, the rain slowed down or the boat didn't sink. Perfectly calm. And Jesus said, hey, why are you afraid? And this is where it's important to have a, a deep relationship with Jesus because oftentimes we interpret this through authority figures we've had in our lives. Some of them may be tyrannical or abusive, like, why are you afraid? Don't you get it by now? You failed. I, I can't see that here. What I see is, hey, hey, guys, what would make you afraid? Why would you so easily forget what you just saw with your own eyes? Why would you forget what God's done in your life? I mean, even the idea that you're born. You'd have better odds of winning the lottery twice in the same week. And that's just where those odds start. They get even more outrageous after that. So what do you have to be afraid of? Why are you afraid? And then he says, how is it that you have no faith? And then I really like what they say after that. Because this is where I find myself oftentimes. Like, God's ministering to me concerning fear. And I walk away from that ministry and kind of say the same thing they do. And, and then they became very afraid. <laughs> well, let me tell you what that means. I mean, because it's like, oh, you mean we got to deal with this? You mean I got to deal with this? You mean you're not just going to do one of those like, and it's just gone. You mean, 
I got to deal with this. I got news for you. This is our life of worship. Believing and trusting in God. Watching his deliverance one after the next and celebrating everyone with more passion and fervency than the last. It's intentional. And it's on purpose. So I told you before, we're going to talk about how Jesus deals with fear. We're going to move quickly through the rest of this, but that doesn't make it unimportant in any way. This is very important. How Jesus deals with fear. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Matthew chapter 10. I want us to look at verses 29 through 31. Now you're dealing with fear. You're dealing with anxiety here. People are concerned with how they're going to live. How they're going to eat, how they're going to dress. But read between the lines. They're just concerned with how they're going to get by. That's what's going on. How are we going to make it? So at the root of this, you're dealing with fear. Fear of not having enough. And as Jesus ministers to this fear, he's showing us the formula to shake free from fear. He's revealing us to us the, the how-to. What needs to take place in our minds and in our hearts to be free from the bondage of fear. People are concerned with how they're going to make it. And Jesus responds to that concern with these words. It's Matthew 10, starting in 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing about it. The hairs on your head, they're numbered. So don't fear. You're way more valuable than many sparrows. Now I want to just comment on that as we move forward and then close. Jesus responds to all fear by communicating that. That tells me that all fear in my life, all fear in your life, or anyone's life for that matter, is a worth issue. All fear is a worth issue. People bring their Fears to Jesus. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? What if it's not enough? All of this, all of these things. And all he says to them is, listen, birds are bought and sold and God cares about them. I got news for you. He cares about you so much more. You're worth so much more. And if he takes care of those birds, don't you think he's going to take care of you? All fear is a worth issue. I believe the entire gospel is about getting fear out of our lives. And I love the message of forgiveness. I think it's important and necessary. It's foundational. You cannot remove it. You cannot diminish it in any way. But I really believe the point of the gospel is to get fear out of our lives. I'll give you a passage of scripture. We used to sing it as a song. Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? Of what should I be afraid? You know, by much of the church's accounts today, it would say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, my sins are forgiven. That would kind of sum up the perspective of the gospel in the modern day church. And the forgiveness of sins is priority. Don't feel that I'm making small of that. But it's sad to me to see a bunch of forgiven people walking around gripped by fear when God's done all of this to get fear out of our lives so that the result can be manifest holiness and righteousness in our words and in our actions. I love the songs that are written today, some of them anyway, some of them aren't necessarily favorites, I mean, but I have nothing against contemporary music, but I can just tell you this personally, and maybe it's because windows were open in my childhood when I heard that song, but I sing it a lot. 
when there's worry or concern. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God's removing fear from our lives so that we can function and operate just like Jesus. I want to give you a couple more passages of Scripture here as we close. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. They read like this, God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, can you say therefore? Yeah, I want you to really catch that therefore. He's present and he's near. Therefore, that means this should be the result of that awareness that God's near. When we're in trouble, God's near. Therefore, we will not fear. It goes on to read like this, though the earth should change. Can you imagine that? If the earth would just split in half. Though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. That's not just breaking off onto the beach. That's total geological catastrophe. Though every foundation beneath my feet should shatter. Though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake. I won't fear. Because I know my unchanging heavenly father is near. He hasn't left. There's something about that passage that I want to see. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Sometimes we read through those things and we just kind of go too fast. But it's written that way on purpose. And how it's written is actually very revealing. It doesn't say that God is present. He's a very present help in our time of trouble. Therefore, I cannot fear. It doesn't make fear impossible. In fact, it's quite possible. But it's an issue of will. Therefore, I will not fear. It means I'm going to make the decision not to be afraid. I'm going to will myself to have no fear. And I'm going to do that by remembering the awesome deliverance, the amazing provision that God has cared for me from my youth and He's not about to stop. I will not fear. And I think maybe some of us have been brought up in such a way that it's been interpreted, I cannot fear. And we feel like that word's falling apart, that it's not coming to fruition because, God, I'm terrified. But the presence of fear in my life or the absence of fear in my life is a matter of my will. Once a Christian, it is 100% a matter of my will. And I think as we catch this as believers, we can write things like the psalmist wrote. Things that we love to quote in times of fear, in efforts to cope or find some comfort. They cannot be coping mechanisms, but they can be realities for each one of us. Catch these verses from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely, will you say surely? Surely, that is absolutely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in your house forever. I mentioned before kind of jokingly that God's a hunter. It's revealed in this passage here that we just read, but you might have not noticed it. You got to look at the language, the, the Hebrew, but that word follow, that surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. 
It's a very weak interpretation. My problem with it following me is that if it follows me, it's always behind me. I need it now. I need it here. And I don't think that God sent Jesus to the cross. I don't think that He raised Him from the dead and then poured out the Holy Ghost upon all of the world so that goodness and mercy could be a day late and a dollar short. So if you want my advice, you take your pen and you scratch out the word follow. And you write in the word hunt. That's what it means. To pursue, to chase, to hunt. Every day of my life, God is hunting me down to bestow His goodness and mercy on me. He's looking for you. Though we might be running from Him, scared to death, motivated by fear, fleeing from His will and His intention for our life, He's going to hunt us down and He's going to pour His goodness and His mercy over us until there's absolutely no room for fear or anxiety in our hearts whatsoever. His goodness and mercy aren't following me. They're hunting me down. And I think today is a good day to say, I surrender. I surrender to your goodness and your mercy. I surrender to your loving kindness. I will not extend the hunt any longer. But I'll receive the goodness and the loving kindness that purges fear from my life and make room for holiness and righteousness to prevail in my words and my actions as I serve you for the rest of my life. I want to ask you to stand up this morning as we begin to close. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.